how many of you are on social media? Raise your hand, I want to see. Like Facebook or uh, Tumblr, Snapchat, uh, Foursquare, what? Twitter, Twitter, yeah, Twitter. I, I have all those accounts. Um, I'm mostly on Facebook, though. H- have you seen the, um, those language tests that, that where you know, like, the difference between, uh, there, there, and there? Right? And ha- did you take them? Tell the truth and let the Lord love you. Nope. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, so, you know, of course I do. And I come out pretty well on them. Um, I, you know, it's like, can you tell the difference by the way I myself pronounce them, which is there as in over there, there as in their house, it belongs to them or they belong to it, and there as in they are. They are over there in their house. They're over there in their house, right? So I know that sometimes uh, for me and for others, that proper grammar can be a little bit of an of an obsession, right? Like we, it's it's drilled into us to be that it's very important. Um, my growing up, my mother would not let us say "ain't," a i n apostrophe t, right? She would not let us do it. And we grew up in in the rural area of North Carolina, um, but so, she knew what that represented to the world. And she knew that once we got out in the world that we would be judged for that. And in fact, when I, I was doing some research for the sermon and I just looked that up just to see like, you know, words evolve and language evolves. And so, um, I looked it up to see what's happening with that. And still what it says about ain't is that, um, it is used by people who are uneducated. That's what it says. Well, I'm going to tell you that every once in a while, I throw it in there for emphasis. Um, it works really well. And um, what I I have found interesting about language through the years, because words have mattered. I mean, I took a whole, um, what was it called, language mastery uh, class. And it talked about things like... Um, how we phrase words and that the unconscious mind doesn't hear the word no. So if we say, I'm not going to um, uh, like drink too much or eat too much or I'm not going to, I don't know, pick something in your own life, um, that the unconscious mind doesn't hear the word no and so it sets about doing for us what we say we're not going to do. So, so it's a little bit like the kids, you know, in child, my child development training, we were taught to say instead of don't run to a child who's running, you say walk, right? You tell them what you want them to do. Um, so uh, what, what I started looking at, I was with this group of women ministers uh, back in North Carolina when I was young, and... Um, and we started looking at, um, I did not lead this charge. This was led by Susan Thistlethwaite, who was the, uh, is a professor of theology and, um, was the, um, former president of the Chicago Theological Seminary at the University of Chicago, I think. But, um, so we started looking at the language that's used, that was used for God and the gendered language. So, and we started, uh, changing it. So instead of 
Creator, Christ, I mean, uh, Father, Son, and Holy Ghost, or Ho- Holy Spirit, we would say Creator, Christ, and Holy and Holy Spirit. And so when we sang this song, the doxology, if some of you are familiar with that, it goes, praise God from whom all blessings flow, that one. Um, and the very end is praise Father, Son, and Holy Ghost, but we would change it to Creator, Christ, and Holy Spirit, I think. Um, so we also work to change the use of men as, a, as the acceptable, all-inclusive word for people. And and um, what Susan Thistlethwaite positive was that the language we create we use creates and determines our attitudes, and those attitudes about things then determines our behaviors. And if you think about some other choice words through the English language, you'll see how that has played out, um, and 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 how we use different words today. I'm going to let you think of that on your own, um, but. To, to use only male-gendered language for the holy in everyday life meant that women would always be excluded. And they would, we, as women, would never be treated as equals and often weren't treated very well at all. So changing the language and being more inclusive and naming the holy as feminine, the divine feminine, think about that. what it means to see God as mother. It changed my spirituality. It changed who I could be in the world. It could change how I thought of myself. If not out loud, then in my mind. And so um, there's a joke about Unitarian Universalists not being able to sing hymns very well because we're reading ahead to see if we agree with the words. Um, So let me tell you that it was a lot of work to read ahead in those Christian hymns and change all the, and change all the pronouns and the names for God to make it fit for me. Um, and, um, and what I did the Course in Miracles workbook, uh, at one point in my life and it was filled with, um, the, the, this, gendered these gender this gendered language for god and my thought was if people were all that enlightened they would understand that god was not a gender anyway and so what was this about but i decided i would do this workbook but i took white out and i whited out all those names and rewrote it in a lot of work i'm telling you so I was delighted to get to Unitarian Universalism and find this gray hymnal, which in 1993 was new. And they had gone through and done all this work for me. (laughs) I was thrilled about that. I bought a copy. I have the original edition um, that was printed in 1993. I thought I had found a pot of gold at the end of a rainbow. And... um, but my spiritual expression got a lot easier um, from that point. But there are plenty of people, truth be told, who don't agree that these hymns should have ever been changed. I am not one of those people. Um, First UU San Diego, when I showed up there, they had done a lot of work around this language thing. In fact, I had a conversation with the minister there, and, and um, there were co-ministers who were married. And she said, well, we decided that we would only use um, 
inclusive language for God and for people. And when we looked at readings, if we felt like that changing the language in the reading would be too upsetting for people or that it didn't quite translate the same if we took out the men and or if we made it men and women or we made it people or whatever, if we took that out, um, that it would be, it, it would lose something in its translation or that it would be too, too upsetting to people. And they pushed some boundaries. She said, I was so surprised at this answer. She said, we chose a different reading. They chose a different reading. So, and she said that they tried to make this a, a thing that was a policy sort of or a, or a culture in their church, and they met it with they they were met with great resistance, um, which I find found very interesting. And I think that was probably back in the early nineties. But my goodness, how we have evolved. Um, so, but just when you think you've got it all settled, right? A new generation comes along. And or people of your generation start to think outside the box. And we get deeper into the power of language and how language shapes attitudes and attitudes shape behavior. And of course, behavior affects how we're treated and how we treat others. So here's a word that I wonder if you uh, either use or are comfortable with. Queer. Now, how many of you had sort of a visceral reaction of like, oh, no, not that word, right? Yes, because it was, it was a slur used for the LGBTQ community, right? Or LGV community, um, the lesbian, gay, bisexual, transgender community. But, but what happened was that younger people said, uh-uh, you're not using that word as a slur for us. We're reclaiming that word, and we're using it to identify ourselves. So um, when I went to, I'll tell you, I went to a, um, uh, I was at a staff meeting at another church to plan a worship service, and I was talking about this, and I was referring to the LGBTQIA community as the queer community, and there was a, a 60-ish gay man there, and he um, gave me a strange look, and he shook his head and said, we don't use that word. And I questioned him about that and told him, when I first started doing campus ministry at uh, the University of California, San Diego, the um, there was an Episcopal campus minister there who, who tipped me off. And he's a, he's a young gay man himself who's fabulous. And um, he said, um, if, you, if you don't use the word queer or refer to them as the queer community, they will know that you do not know your stuff and you will not... Be able, they will, they will not relate to you. And he said, call them what they are asking to be called. And I said, queer community it is. I was at a clergy retreat 
a couple weekends ago, and we were asked to identify ourselves among many things. Um, so we did an exercise that we did recently here in the Shift Happens workshop, but it was a little different, and we were asked across the room if we identified in certain ways. And so they would say something, and we would, if it fit us, you know, if we identified like that, then we'd cross the room. And so um, this is a, a church... Um, uh, based or a religious based institution that does workshops and, uh, things like that. And I, I don't know how, um, how current they are, but they used some language that felt sort of outdated actually to most of the, most of us in the room. And, um, there was some resistance met because, um, they said gay and, uh, a few people across the room, uh, mostly men, a couple of women. They said um, bisexual, other people cross the room. Uh, they said lesbian, women cross the room. But I was looking around, it's like, I know some of these people identify as women-loving women, you know, but he, but they weren't saying the word queer. I don't know what that is. Um, uh, they weren't saying the word queer. And so finally there was this sort of uprising, right, um, among the, and this, at first it started as a rumble, you know, and then, and, then, and then the voices get louder and it rises up. And, um, and, and they said, okay, what's going on? And they said, well, you're not using the words that we would use to identify ourselves. You're not using the word queer. And... Um, so they, so the leader said, okay, if you identify as queer, cross the room. Well, a lot more people went over. Um, so if you're paying attention out in the world, you know that this um, whole gender binary stuff is up for review anyway. And a lot of those, well, I won't say a lot, uh, some of those people in there, however they identify as who they love, they identify as queer because they're rejecting this whole idea that we have to be placed in, in a gender. So, and as uh, Jenna, our president, said to me a few months ago, this younger generation is just going to transform our ideas of gender. And I think that that is very, very true. I don't know if you remember saying that to me, but you said it. But it's not so easy sometimes when we are... Um, in our in our grammar uh, nerd brain, right, and we know how things should be said, and um, so a few years ago, the transgender and queer communities were uh, having. I, I'm not sure how this stuff happens, but I can read about it online, um, and um, they there was conversation about what pronouns to use, and so. Um, they came up with things like gee, G-H-E-E, and um, ger, G-H-E-R, and here, H-I-R. And a friend of mine who was very much in the I am both genders, I am neither gender, um, was telling me about this, and honestly, in my mind, I thought, how is that ever going to happen? Like, it just seemed impossible to me. And so 
maybe some of the folks still refer to themselves that way, but I think most popular these days is referring to people in uh, the plural pronouns, they, them, and their. And um, for some of us who love language that and our grammar, that is sort of like... Um, rubbing the hair on a cat the wrong way, right? Like it just, it, it, there's a body thing that's like, nah, that we have to overcome. And I'm going to, if we, if you haven't done that, I'm inviting you to overcome it and, um, to, to be with it for a while and, uh, think about what it means to the people who really identify what it means to those of us. We have a a person in our congregation, at least one, who identifies that way. And there may be more if we were having these conversations with folks, right? But I know that there's at least one. Um, But here's the thing is that we use that language all the time. We say things like, oh, someone dropped their money. I'll set it aside for them. I bet they're looking everywhere for it. Oh, someone dropped their money. I'll set it aside for them. I bet they are looking everywhere. We've used they, them, and their in those three sentences because we don't know who it was who dropped their money. Using he or she in, or his and hers in this situation is awkward and clunky, and so we just use the singular instead. When someone uses a they-them pronoun, all you have to do is apply that same sentence construction. Oh, Elizabeth dropped their money here. I'll set it aside for them. I bet they're looking everywhere. That's their pronoun. I have a friend named Wendy who told me about the gear and uh, hear things, and at one point, I was using those pronouns, for the, the um, feminine pronouns for Wendy, and that's when we had the conversation about the, the here and the ger and the um, gi. And um, over the last few years, what Wendy has gotten clear about is that Wendy doesn't want any pronouns. Wendy wants to use Wendy's name. And what Wendy says is, It's not that he or she pronouns are wrong. They just don't quite fit. It's like a shirt that's too tight or um, just doesn't fit quite right for Wendy. Several years ago, the Unitarian Universalist Association responded to an act of hate with a campaign called Standing on the Side of Love. Reverend Jason Shelton wrote a song with that title. It's very catchy. We're going to sing it uh, later. But part of this campaign was that no person should be dehumanized, oppressed, or violated because of their identity. We had logos, and it was and really hard to miss uh, yellow shirts. Um, many you you showed up for social events in in those shirts, and then um, at the UUA General Assembly that meets every year, events were organized that required, that that had us live that out, right? And a lot of these were marches that required us going from place to place. Um, But what happened was that 
those events weren't made accessible to the very people that we were trying to support. And so the disabled community became vocal and prominent in questioning the validity of our claims of being the love people, which is how we were dubbed. Questions were, hymns were questioned, including standing on the side of love. The word standing was questioned, as many of our disabled siblings could not stand, and if they could, it was only for short periods of time and not easy for them. We looked at the song, Guide My Feet As I Run This Race, we shall walk hand in hand, come walk and reign with me. There are a lot of songs with these metaphors in them. Metaphors, right? Ah, that's what we say, but it's a metaphor. Well, we shouldn't take it literally. There, it's just a metaphor. But while that is true, my friend, the Reverend Teresa Soto says, if we, meaning disabled people, had full accessibility, these metaphors wouldn't be a problem. So I've started paying attention to my language. I try to find other words for stand when I don't mean stand up to people. And you notice that when we invite people to rise in body or spirit, or as you are willing and able, um, that we try to be inclusive. I no longer use the word lame to describe something as undesirable. There are so many more words in the English language that we can use to describe something that doesn't, that isn't working for us or that we don't agree with. So I want to invite you to look at that as well. Um, and I'm happy to say that last year, much to my surprise, um, after voting to re-examine the Standing on the Side of Love campaign, they changed it to Side with Love. And Jason Shelton has officially changed the words in his hymn from Standing on the Side of Love to Answering the Call of Love. If we are truly the love people, then it requires our response. Nothing less than full inclusion, full equality, full humanity for all of us. My liberation is tied up in yours. None of us are free if one of us is chained. You've heard me say this before. But what is our basis for it? Our covenant says love is the spirit of this church. Yesterday at the board retreat, we looked at the purpose of this congregation, why we are here. What is it really about that we are here? And love came up again and again and again. I'm breathing in the... <laughs> I don't want to fall backwards up here. Love came up again and again and again. We are called to do this out of love. We're called to accept our principles say the inherent worth and dignity. 
equity, justice, and compassion. Those are things that the covenant agrees to affirm and promote. Uh, I mean, we covenant as a Unitarian Universalist church in the association to do that. There's no mandate that says you as an individual must agree to this. But for most of us, why would we not do that? Right? Why would we not say, yes, this is who I am. I do believe in the inherent worth and dignity. And that means that as new information comes in, as language evolves, as humans evolve, as relationships evolve, I will change who I am to be more inclusive and more loving because it changes me. It makes me more whole. It makes me more of who I am in the world. Allows me to be bigger and bolder and to live more fully into my own potential. If we're truly the people of love that we say we are, if we live our covenant that love is the spirit of this church and that it is in us, how are we called to respond? Wouldn't we want to do everything that we could to let someone feel our fierce love for them and for all of humanity? Isn't that what we all want, to be seen and loved for who we are? And we can simply ask each of us and each person who walks through that door, how do you want to be addressed? How do you want to be addressed? We can do that in the world. We can do that here in church. We can write our own preferences on the bottom of our name tags. And I invite you to do that today. Write your pronouns at the bottom. And if you don't want pronouns, write what you want to be called. And here is something else. We get to love ourselves. When we misgender, meaning we use the incorrect pronouns or the preferred name, and we will. We will do this. I have done it um, with my friend Wendy. We get to forgive ourselves. We get to say, I'm sorry, I meant to say, whatever the correct term is for them, and then we move on in love for ourselves and for each other. The spirit of this church, love. The spirit of who we are. And the spirit of the evolution of language. As my friend Justine Sullivan says, I love language but I love people more. Please rise as you are willing and able to sing number 1014 with the new words, answering the call of love. So instead of standing on the side of, we'll sing answering the call of love. <laughs> 